Now, the devil does not want you to know what you're hearing right now, but he is a defeated foe already. Now, he went down at Calvary. He lost the war right there. And he does not have to have control now over our thought life. Well, today I'd like to call us all to arms, in a sense, if you would look at it that way, and, and a call to victory, because Christian people, I believe, are saved to succeed. We can have victory. We need God's help. Without faith, it's impossible to please Him. He wants us to lean on Him. The battleground is not Gettysburg or Wilson Creek or Waterloo or any of those places. The battleground is the heart. It's the mind. It's the soul. May God give us victory. The Bible says that the gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation. Welcome to Pulpit Power, featuring Pastor Tony Skeving, Senior Pastor of Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. Today's message was previously preached before a church audience. And now, here's Pastor Skeving. Let's take our Bibles, please, and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, if you would. 2 Corinthians 10. We are in an all-and-out deadly war a war between God and Satan, obviously. We know who the winner is, the ultimate victor is, but we know who the one is who is attacking us as Christian people. And the battleground is the mind, the mind. Now, when I say mind, again, remember, I'm not talking about the brain, more about that later, but the soul, the heart, the mind, the part of us, the core that thinks And uh, we're going to be talking a little bit more today about our thinking and the battleground being your mind. Here in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, we pick it up in verse number 3. It says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations, and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. That's a great springboard for what we're going to be talking about today. The message is simply, the battleground is your mind. The battleground is your mind. Let's pray before we begin. Father, we come before Thee in needy people today. We ask You to help us to listen carefully, to look at the Scriptures, for them to speak to our hearts and find lodging there. Lord, we need victory. We ask that You would help us now in this battleground of the mind. How I'm praying now that we could use the truths of of Your Word and the Spirit of God to be victorious. We ask all this now in Jesus' precious name. Amen. When my wife and I were on uh, deputation, we were in Springfield, Missouri, I think it was, and there's a battleground, actually an old Civil War battleground on the southwest part of Springfield. It's called Wilson Creek, I think, no no relation, but uh, I remember walking that, that battlefield where this battle at Wilson Creek was fought and thinking to myself, the men in gray and blue who fell here on these grounds and and uh, you, you picture something like that. I've been to Gettysburg and, and pictured it there. I'd, I'd, I'd love someday to go to Belgium and, and see Waterloo where that battle was fought there. And, you know, ultimately there's the, the battleground of Armageddon. And I've been to that spot in the Holy Land where uh, I believe it's going to be fought. But we understand what a battleground is. It's a place where a, a war takes place. 
Well, today I'd like to call us all to arms, in a sense, if you would look at it that way, and, and a call to victory, because Christian people, I believe, are saved to succeed. We were, we were born again, if you will, born to win. And I think that's something I can show you from the Bible. In fact, hold your place here. Just turn back a few pages to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. We'll be back here in just a second. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, it says in verse 14, Now thanks be unto God, which always causeth us to triumph in Christ, and maketh manifest the savor of his knowledge by us in every place. Notice the first part of the verse says, Thanks be unto God, which always causeth us to triumph in Christ. It doesn't say sometimes, doesn't even say most of the time, but it tells us here that thanks be unto God, which always causeth us to triumph in Christ. So when you're born again, you're born to win. Thanks, thanks be to God who always causeth us to triumph in Christ Jesus. God's plan for you and God's plan for me is victory. Victory through Christ, including victory in the thought life. Now, back to our text here in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. There's some great truth here. Beginning in verse number 3, it says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Then it goes on and says, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. That is a great passage to memorize, folks, by the way. I challenge you to do that. And as we look at this passage here, we see several things. And the first of which is I call our ever-enduring enemy. We have an ever-enduring enemy. And we know who he is. Verse 4 says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. In other words, there's a war, but the one who's participating is not flesh and bones and blood. We can't see him. It's an invisible enemy. The enemy is not enclosed in flesh. In fact, verse 3 says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. Who is our enemy? Satan. In fact, keep your place here, but look, if you would, in Ephesians chapter 6, just a few pages forward from where you're at, we find here that our enemy is Satan. And we're reminded here of that in Ephesians 6 and in verse number 12. It says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. I find four different ways it's described there, but it's the armies of hell, the hordes of hell, the masses of of Satan, if you will, described as principalities, as powers against rulers of the darkness of this world and against spiritual wickedness in high places. You know, we look at pornography and, and we go, you know, whoever is behind this, it's wicked as the devil. Well, it is the devil. We look at the liquor industry and the drug industry and we look at terrorism and ISIS and all this stuff and and the Bible tells us that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Oh yeah, you see the terrorists on TV and they're doing awful things, but there's somebody behind them. There's an enemy behind them. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. It says, but against principalities and powers and the rulers of the darkness of this world. Well, that's describing the demons. You're at war and I'm at war with a deadly enemy and he's invisible. We can't see them. We're at war with demons. So what's the prize? Well, as you turn back to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 
or 10, I'm sorry, verse 5, we find out that the prize is the mind. The mind of the Christian especially. And so we're told here in, in 2 Corinthians 10.5, it speaks of casting down imaginations. That's thinking. And every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing it into captivity every thought, there's our thinking again, every thought to the obedience of Christ. It's speaking of our imaginations, our knowledge, our thinking. Obviously, it's a battleground that takes place in the mind. And we have this ever-enduring enemy because Satan desires to control our thought lives. That's really where the, bot- the battle is fought and won. Satan wants to use our minds as a citadel to use against God. He wants to set up a stronghold there. And he'll do that, and Christian people will find themselves thinking things habitually over and over again from day to day and, and, and go, boy, I, how come I can't get victory here? Why am I always thinking about this thing or that thing or whatever it might be? Well, the mind is the prize. And we find here that we're told to bring, in verse 5 at the end, bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Because the devil wants to use our mind as a citadel to use against God because Satan hates God. Let's never forget that. He is spiteful. He, he, uh, he will, will do anything he can to offend God and to hurt God. And he does that through God's people more than any other way. Now, remember this. The mind and the brain are opposite things. I was teaching all last week uh, in our Bible college on counseling. And I kept referring to our thinking. And I, by habit, because I speak with my hands all the time, I've been told that, that I was pointing to the brain. And I, I said, now you think that, and then I, oh yeah, that's not where we do our thinking. We, we, we think that's where we do our thinking. Secular society does not even realize this. But you do your thinking in your soul. It's called your mind or the heart. And I don't know why the heart, except that's kind of the, the core of our being and maybe where this thinking comes out of. But the brain is not the same as the mind. Uh, the, the mind controls the brain. The brain, in, in, in turn, stores the information, sends signals to the, the nerves of the body to tell it what to do. Uh, but there's a difference between the mind and the brain. Look at it this way. If, uh, if you've got a, a pianist over there uh, playing the piano, in a sense, the brain is a piano. The, the pianist is the mind. The, the soul playing that piano, the heart behind it, is the pianist. It's not the piano. The piano is, is inanimate. It's an object. It's, it, it has no life without the pianist. The pianist is really the soul or the pianist is really the mind, or the pianist is really the heart. The piano is simply the brain that does what the soul tells it to do. The brain deals with knowledge. The mind or the heart or the soul deal with wisdom. There's a difference. I don't want to get too deep here, but on March 5th, 1981, I realized I was a sinner. Uh, God spoke to my heart, my mind, my soul, brought me to the end of myself, showed me I could not work my way to heaven. My church membership wouldn't merit me heaven. Getting baptized didn't wash my sin away. I couldn't do enough good works to get to heaven because the Bible says it's not by works that we're saved. And I realized I was a sinner. I called upon the Lord, was gloriously born again that Thursday night. But you know something? My IQ didn't raise one point. It didn't, it didn't flip, you know, as soon as I called upon the Lord. Now, I hope it has since. I hope I've learned something since. But my IQ did not raise up one point. 
But may I say this about wisdom. When God comes in, there's a discernment and a wisdom and, and scales that fall off and there is an immediate change there. The, the door is open for knowledge, more knowledge at that point, but it is the wisdom and the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge. When you get saved, that's when you really have the tools to take off. And when I got saved, I'm telling you, I saw everything in a different light. I don't know about you, but the next day I went to work and, and all of a sudden this cussing I'd always been around in the construction trades, suddenly I heard it. And it was like nails on a chalkboard. It was abrasive to me. And I'm going, how come I've never noticed that before? How come the dirty jokes have never bothered me before? Why, why is everything so different? It was like a, a, a new hue over the whole world. I can't really explain it, but except I, I had the mind of Christ. And it's that mind that Satan wants. It is that mind that Satan is after. And when I got saved, the battle had just begun. Now, he had my mind before I got saved. He had your mind before you got saved. And so he's kind of uh, upset now. And as Christian people, he still attacks our mind. We're not, we're not immune from having our minds attacked, our hearts attacked. That is the battleground. And we, we find Paul here writing to a local church and Christian people just like us, sitting in a church like this only 2,000 years ago in a place called ancient Corinth. And he's writing to them, and he says here in Second uh, Corinthians chapter 11, notice in verse number 3, But I fear lest by any means as a serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Now, he doesn't say that your brains would be corrupted. He's talking about the soul, the mind, the heart being defiled and corrupted. And he's talking about the devil doing it. Let's look at it again. He says, but I fear lest by any means, the devil will use anything he can, by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through subtly, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. You know what that word simplicity there means in the Greek? It speaks of a single-minded devotion. Now the Bible says a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways, Right? And when it speaks of our minds having a simplicity, some, in other places it's called a single-eyed. And, and what it's talking about is having eyes only for Christ, having a mind only for Christ, being single-minded, not double-minded, not letting the junk of the world seep in and dwelling on that, thinking on that. But he speaks here of a simplicity. And, and we are to be single-minded and have a devotion. In fact, if you back up a verse, Paul writes in verse 2, he says to this local church, For I am jealous over you with a godly jealousy. For I have espoused you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. You say, what in the world is he talking about? Well, in the Bible, Christ is compared to a, a groom. And his church, a scripture New Testament church, is compared to as his bride. And Paul's writing to a particular local church. And he says, I'm jealous over you. One day I want to present you to your groom, Jesus Christ, as a godly bride. He speaks as a, uh, a parent would of a child who's jealous over their child's purity. And he talks about this godly jealousy like a dad would have. Now, if that godly jealousy, if that guarding of the mind was important then, and Paul writes about it, how much more today? I believe we're living in the last days. And then in the Bible, it says, in the last days, perilous times shall come. 
The word perilous meaning dangerous. These are dangerous days. These are wicked days. The world's gone crazy attacking the, the thought life of Christian people, of everybody. You know, back in Genesis 6, just before the flood, it got so bad that God looked down from, from heaven. He saw His creation, and, and He, speaking within the Trinity, says the thoughts and the imaginations of the heart of man are only evil continually. Can you imagine that? Every thought is an evil thought. Every imagination is a wicked imagination. It had gotten so bad. Well, it's kind of like that today in, in the MTV mentality that we are currently living in. The next generation is being programmed and they don't even know it. Do you know what the average teenager today, and I, I'm talking about um, young people, actually from grade 7 through 12. You got junior high and senior high. The average teenager today listens to about um, 10,500 hours of rap music and rock music during that time period. You know, that's about as much time as they spend in school altogether from grade 1 through 12. They spend that same amount of time listening to this kind of music here. Now, I don't know what the music is like today. But I can tell you back in my day, and this was a long time ago, there were songs entitled, Go All the Way. And there were songs entitled, Tonight's the Night. And do we have to use our imagination to think, okay, what were they talking, duh, you know? And, and no wonder, today, it's so hard to reach young people with the gospel. There's a battleground for the mind. Think of what they're overcoming. Think of the garbage that's being pumped in. Think of all the, the solicitations, the billboards, the music, the, the internet, all this stuff, the educational system. And, and they come into a church like this, and faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. But oh my, my word, how much Word of God it takes to get to, to them and through to them. You know that there are over 5,000 suicides that take place in the United States just among teenagers. And thousands, many thousands more attempted. Those are the ones who succeed, if you want to call it that. 5,000 a year. And even the NEA, the, the National Education Association, connects a lot of it to the music of the day and age in which we're living. I, I, I gave you some of the violent lyrics of some songs the other, the other night here. You talk about headbanging music and it, it causes a, a depression that is disturbing and that is deadly. 5,000 teenage suicides a year. And doesn't the Bible say to be carnally minded is death? It, it literally is. To be carnally minded in Romans 8, the Bible says is death. You compare that to the, 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 the other side of the coin, which says, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee. The, the mind of God, the mind that's stayed on him. The devil doesn't want that. So we find here in verse 3 of, of chapter 11 again, Paul says, But I fear lest by any means as a serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. The devil wants our minds. But so does God. And, and that's why back in chapter 10 and verse 5, it speaks of casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. God wants our minds. Why? Because He speaks through our minds. He speaks through our hearts. He speaks to our soul. Look, if you would, in Ephesians again. Ephesians chapter 4. You know, Paul here in Ephesians 4 again is writing to a local church at Ephesus and, and speaking to Christian people. 
And he has this to say in, in verse 17 of Ephesians 4. This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of your mind. Now he says henceforth, meaning from this point on, you're saved now. Think about it. That you henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk. He's not talking about just non-Jews. When, when the word Gentile is used in this sense, it's talking about the unsaved. This is how the, the, the pagan, this is how the heathen walk. He's saying, don't walk like that. He, he, he says, I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you henceforth from this point on walk not as other Gentiles walk. Notice, in the vanity of their mind. You know what the word vanity means? It means emptiness. Emptiness. When Solomon wrote Ecclesiastes, he kept using that word, remember? He'd say, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What was he saying? He's saying it's all empty. It's all void of any use and purpose. It's worthless. And, and Paul here writes about that kind of thinking and that kind of life. He says that you henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the, the, the worthlessness of their mind. And then in verse 18, he says, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their hearts, speaking of their mind once again. He, he speaks of having that understanding darkened. And as a result, they're alienated from the life of God. And this isn't flattering, but he goes on and he says, through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. There is an incredible amount of blind, blindness outside of these four walls. There is an incredible amount of brainwashing outside of these four walls. Boy, they look at born-again Christians and laugh and mock and scorn and point and, and say, you folks have been brainwashed. Really? No. Uh, the shoe's really on the other foot. They're the ones with the understanding darkened. And it speaks here the ignorance that is in them. And it's, it's not talking about, duh, you know, ignorance, but a spiritual ignorance. A, a religious or biblical ignorance, if you want to put it that way. There, there, there's so little understanding of biblical Christianity out there. It, it is much worse than mom and dad's era or grandpa and grandma's era. You know, there was a, a, a Bible study that was taught in the Dallas public school system years ago back in mom and dad's age. That could have been a Bible study in this church. <laughs> could you imagine that? Taught in the public schools. Nowadays, people don't even know what the Bible is. They don't know where the book of John is. They don't know about John 3.16. They don't know about Samson and David or any of that. There is such a spiritual ignorance in the day and age which we're living in. The devil has their minds. And, and really, it's so hard for God to even get a chance to work on their minds. There's so many layers of sludge and calluses and, and, and the heart's like a flint now. People have shut out God. They have shut Him out. But we find in, um, in verse 23 here, God still works through the mind. And it says to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. That's where salvation starts. God communicates through the soul. Uh, the, 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 he reveals Himself to us through the, the soul, the mind, the heart. And it speaks here of getting this renewed mind. Changing the way we live by the way we think. After salvation, the wherewithal is there, the Holy Spirit's inside. And, and we saw last time that Romans 12 two speaks of being renewed in the spirit of your mind, transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's how God communicates to us. 
That's how God controls and changes our mind and our attitude. And there are some Christian people that are living day to day with the wrong attitude. With a bad attitude even. And don't realize it. Maybe ungrateful. Maybe you're living ungratefully right now. Even as I speak, you've been complaining today. Or you've been complaining this week. Uh, Instead of counting your blessings, you have been uh, cursing your burdens. And that's not the way to live. Maybe it's a pity party. That's not the victorious way God wants us to live. Uh, Going through life feeling sorry for ourselves. Maybe it's anger. Maybe you're an angry person. God doesn't want us to live angry. And after salvation, we don't have to live with an anger issue, an anger problem. Maybe it's intolerance. Intolerance and and, and critical spirit. And and, and just anyone that, you know, you just pick, pick, pick. And and stinking thinking and, and always talking poorly of people. Intolerance. Maybe it's self-righteousness. Self-righteousness. Holier than thou. Maybe it's just kind of an indignation about uh, things you're guilty of and I'm guilty of. But boy, we get indignant about it. Maybe it's just rebellion. Uh, Something you know that the Bible teaches. The Scripture is there. But there's a stubbornness. There's a digging in. That's that's rebellion, folks. The Bible says rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft. Maybe it's just being inward. Thinking about self all the time. Analyzing self. Into self. By the way, you'll be miserable doing that. That is not the path to joy. And so we may need to put on a new attitude. Verse 23 here of Ephesians 4 says, And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Verse 24 says, And that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Now, we have choices to make every single day. This is a decision. We cannot change our past. They don't really make a time tunnel like the movie show that you can dive into and swirl around and, phew, and, and fall out in the past and go back and fix what was done wrong. No such thing as that. You cannot change the past. You cannot change circumstances from the past. You cannot change the behavior of people, by the way. It's inevitable that somebody's going to dump on you because people do that. All we can change is our attitude about the past. All we can change is our attitude about the circumstances. Our attitude about people and their behavior. All of that. You know, somebody said, and I don't know who they are, but life is 10% what happens and 90% how we react to what happens. And that's probably true. It's really 10% what happens. We think it's the other way around, but it's about 10% what happens. The other 90% is how we react to it. And what controls the way we react to it? The mind the heart, the soul. For Christian people, it ought to be the Holy Spirit. Spirit of God living inside of us. We're not just body and soul anymore. Now we have the Spirit inside of us. And it is God who resides within us to change our mind or our will. And the devil doesn't want us to do that. So hence we have this ever-enduring enemy. Secondly, we have our failing and floundering flesh. Our, our failing and faltering Flesh. Look in Romans chapter 7, if you would, here. Our flesh is weak. And we'll never win the battle of the mind by sheer determination. When I was a kid, uh, we'd swim in, in May. And, of course, the ice hadn't been off for too long by that time of the year. And I'm, I'm telling you, it was cold. And uh, we'd all stand on the other dock shivering. And, and uh, no, I'm not going in. You go in. No, I'm not going in. And my dad and older brother would come along. And dad would say, I'm Will. And my brother would say, I'm Power. 
Together they were willpower. And they would say, willpower is going to help you in the water. And they'd take us younger kids and and throw us in. Well, we can't use sheer willpower to just will it, if you will. That's the weakness of positive thinking. Boy, you you can buy that in the so-called bookstores. But we are too depraved within to win the battle of the mind on our own. It will just never happen. Here in Romans chapter 7, the the great apostle Paul, no less, writes about his own personal struggles. In verse 18, he says, For I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. He said, within me, he's talking about his old, sinful, Adamic nature, the nature of Adam, the flesh it's called here. He says, I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. And then he says, for the will is present with me. I want to do what's right. The will to do what's right is there. It's present with me. He says, but how to perform that which is good? Now, that's another story. He said, I find not. I struggle with doing that. This is Paul talking. Look in Philippians chapter 3. I mean, if there was ever a fella that could have done it in the flesh, boy, I, I would imagine it would be the Apostle Paul. But is that the way he attempts to live the Christian life? I trow not. Notice here in Philippians 3, and in verse 3, he says, For we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ. Now he's speaking of Christian people, the real uh, Christian people. He says, And have no confidence in the flesh. There it is. Have no confidence in the flesh. And then he goes on in verse 4. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. I more. You know, he gives his resume over in, I think it's 2 Corinthians someplace toward the end of the book. And, and he talks about everything he went through. He even talks here about a lot of the things he had going for him in verse 5, how he was of the stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, a Pharisee, and so on and so forth. But he gets down to verse 7 and he says, But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ? Yea, doubtless, and, and I count all things but lost, for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung that I may win Christ. Paul here is talking about all that stuff he had going for him, and he says, dung, dung. Now, if we were honest, I think we'd all have to admit we live too much in the flesh. In other words, relying upon ourselves, our wit, our charm, our intelligence, our confidence in self. But we so well sing the song, the arm of flesh will fail you. And it will. The arm of flesh will fail us. Christians still have problems. We still have uh, pitfalls. And, and, and we're not immune to issues and, and struggles and all these kind of things here. And we are told not to have confidence in the flesh. We can't get away from issues. We can't get away from people. You know, we would like to get away from this environment that tempts us and draws us into it. But we can't. You know, I've often thought of joining a monastery. Wouldn't that, wouldn't that be good? Just be a monk and, and go live, live on the side of a cliff someplace and, and uh, sleep on the hard cobblestone floors and, you know, eat rice four times a day and just, you know, chant and hum and think clean thoughts all day and so on and so forth. That's just not going to happen, is it? By the way, did you hear about the guy who did that? And he went to the monastery and he joined it. 
And, and the Monsignor said, okay, you can only speak two words every ten years. And so ten years went by. Guy came back to Monsignor. Monsignor said, well, what two words do you have to say? Guy said, bed hard. He said, okay, bed's hard. Go back. And the guy went back for another ten years and came back to Monsignor. And Monsignor said, well, what do you got to say now? Two words. Guy said, food bad. And he said, okay, go back for another ten years. And ten years later, he came back and, and finally said, okay, what's your two words? And the guy said, I quit. And Monsignor said, well, fine with me. All you've done for 30 years is complain anyway, you know. It, it, it would be easy to get away from it all and not have to face all the temptations of this world. Let me just say, this world makes it easy to get in the flesh. Easy to get in the flesh. I was on the phone a while back with, with one of the most unreasonable people I could ever imagine. I mean, justifying themselves when they were wrong, just blew up and cursed and took God's name in vain and, 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 and laid the blame at everybody else's feet. And I, I tried to reason with them. I said, Brother Benham, be reasonable now. I, I, but uh, no, I really, it wasn't, it wasn't Brother Benham. It was somebody else. Nobody here. But it, it would have been so easy to retaliate in the flesh. You ever had those conversations? You just did everything you can. The Bible says a soft answer turneth away wrath. And that is hard to remember at such times, but by, by God's grace I didn't respond in like kind. The arm of flesh will fail us at such times. Turn to uh, Ephesians chapter 6 if you would. We will never get the victory through our own flesh. We, we talk about discipline. You know, disciplined flesh. Is there any such thing? In, in Ephesians 6... And verse 10, it says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Be strong in who? Strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. 2 Corinthians 10, we won't turn there, but it says, Though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. We do not war after the flesh. In our flesh, we'll never defeat Satan. We need to remember that. Never. We're too weak. The, the, the flesh will never outwit Satan. It will never outwork Satan. It will never outwar Satan. Never. Never. You will never, you will never defeat Satan by education. You can educate somebody. By the way, you can make them a clever devil in the process. It, it doesn't do anything for them spiritually. Uh, you can try and change your environment. Get away to that monastery and whatever it might be. It still isn't the answer. Not the answer. Look in Zechariah chapter 4. Let me show you the answer here in a, a, a tremendous verse. You find it in the second to the last book of the Old Testament, Zechariah. And some of you know where I'm heading. In Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6. Then he answered and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. It's not going to be by your might. It's not going to be by your power, God says, but it's by my spirit. If we're going to win this battle, it's by his spirit. My, my strength fails me by the hour. By the hour. I heard of some guy and he said, I, I haven't sinned in years. And I thought to myself, you don't know the definition of sin or you're a really big liar. Because... My flesh fails me by the hour. The longer I'm saved, the more I realize how weak I am. We're told that it's not by our might 
nor by our power, but by His Spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. So we see this ever-enduring enemy. We see our failing and, and, and faltering flesh. But finally, let's talk about our, our wonderful winning weapons that were given. Look in Philippians chapter 4, if you would. Our winning, wonderful weapons. In Philippians chapter 4, we find this gem. It's verse number 8. We read it last time, where it says, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, notice these last four words, think on these things. Think on these things. The problem is the mind. And the Bible says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. And the Bible says, out of the heart come the issues of life. The battle is fought and won in the heart or the mind. Now, how can we win the battle of the mind? Good question. Yesterday, I had a thought that I should not have had. And immediately, I confessed it. I recognized it was wrong. I shouldn't have been hating Gary's guts like I was at the time. But um, it was wrong. No, just kidding. It was something else. But, you, you know, at those times, you recognize, okay, this isn't the mind of Christ. And you turn the channel. You turn the channel. When it speaks of thinking on these things, that's exactly what it's talking about. It tells us the things we ought to be thinking about. When all of a sudden we find ourselves thinking on something we should not be thinking. I don't know about you. I mentioned music a moment ago. I'm a music guy. I can go into a restaurant and, and I can hear a song from the past and remember every single word of it. There are thousands of songs up here. And, and, and there are times when I'll have a song going through my head. In fact, uh, somebody will say a phrase, and it's a phrase from an old song in the past, and all of a sudden, uh, an hour later, I'm humming a song, and I don't know why. Where did I get that? And then, oh, boy, yeah, that's where I got it. And, and, and I have to change the channel. I have to think of a song in the hymn book and, uh, and begin to sing that song. You know, God comes to the help at such times and, and rescues us. And I said last time that you can't think of, of two significant thoughts at the same time. I mean, you can drive home today and get to your place while, you know, you're talking to somebody or on the phone. And I'm not talking about those kind of things, but I'm talking about two significant thoughts. You cannot think them simultaneously. And so if you will find yourself thinking perhaps of the wrong thing, change the channel. And it talks here about thinking of the things we ought to be thinking about changing the channel. Maybe it's worry and you find yourself worrying. Well, what do you do? Well, you think of verses like the one that says, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee, or ones like, cast thy burden upon the Lord and he shall sustain thee, or uh, where Christ says, come unto me all you that labor and are heavy laden, you're under those burdens. Uh, verses like that. Look in Second Corinthians chapter 10 if you would, and we'll wrap this up here shortly. Second Corinthians chapter 10. You know, we're all familiar with the armor of God, the loins of truth, and the breastplate of righteousness, and uh, the feet shod with the preparation of the gospel, and the shield of faith, and the helmet of salvation, and the, 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 the soul and her spirit, of the, the word of God, the sword. Uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, notice in verse number 4 again, it says, for the weapons of our warfare, and they're, they're laid out in Ephesians 6, but the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Speaking of that satanic citadel. Now, the devil does not want you to know what you're hearing right now, but he is a defeated foe already. 
Now, he went down at Calvary. He, he lost the war right there. And he does not have to have control now over our thought life. We can have victory. We need God's help. You say, I'd be asking for that help all day long. And nothing would be more pleasing to the Lord than that. Without faith, it's impossible to please Him. He wants us to lean on Him. So let's take what we've heard today and, and, and put it to practice. Because the battleground is not Gettysburg or Wilson Creek or Waterloo or any of those places. The battleground is the heart, it's the mind, it's the soul. May God give us victory. You've been listening to Pastor Tony Skeving of the Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. If you would like a CD of today's message, you can obtain one by sending a gift of $2 to Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. That address again, Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. We hope you'll join Pastor Skeving next time right here on Pulpit Power. Pulpit Power is a production of Heaven 88.7.